Welcome to the Entrepreneur's MBA, bringing you lessons from real-life entrepreneurs they don't teach in business school. Here's your host, business coach and marketing strategist, Adam Kipnis. In every business, as business owners, it's important to learn along the way, right? There are things that we do, there are things that work, there are things that don't work. The most successful in business, whatever the business is, are the ones that can see what's working, can see what's not working, adapt along the way. We know that change is necessary, especially in today's business world, and we've got to empower ourselves and those that we work with to make that a reality, to make that change happen. Building trust is a key to it. Learning from ourselves, what we're going through is key to it. Today, we're going to talk about that and more. This is Adam Kipnis, host of the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. I appreciate you being with me. I want to say thank you to C-Suite Radio, the platform that distributes the podcast out there to the world. Also want to thank my sponsor, uh, Network Together, a nationwide group of entrepreneurs that come together online for networking, collaboration, and commerce. Go to ntevents.net. They've got events online every day of the week for you to meet fellow business owners. So thank you for listening to today's episode. And my guest today is an author. He's a coach. He's a lifelong learner. We're going to talk about the book he just wrote, John Saunders. Thanks for being with me today. I appreciate it. Adam, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. And in you, in your career, um, being a business owner came later. You started in the financial services world as an employee, but it was a business in what you were really doing because you were on your own. You had to build your own client base and take care of them, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I worked in the asset management industry as a field sales person for many, many years. And, and in that, right, you, you had a job to do, but how you did it, how you transform, and most importantly, how you were successful in it was a lot on you and the skills that you learned along the way, what was working for your clients, correct? Very much so. And, you know, when you're out in the field, you know, far from the home office, right? Yes, you have contact with the home office, phone calls and whatnot, but I lived a thousand miles away. <laughs> you know, I was covering Florida and Puerto Rico. Uh, and, you know, my home office was in New York City. So it was very much incumbent upon you to figure it out. You know, yes, there were messaging and support from the home office, but yeah, every day you had to get up and go do it. Yeah, I, I bet. And, and I think that's where you've got life, lifelong learner is something that you and I have talked about and something that you do. And in that role, you always have to be learning what's working, what's not working, what are you doing differently? What works in this area of the country versus maybe another area of the country? Tell us a little bit about that thought process that helped you in being better at your job and eventually leading to management and everything that you're doing now. Yeah, thanks for asking that. You know what? When I first got to the company, I went there right out of school, 22 years old, graduated. I grew up in Wisconsin, moved to New York City. And, you know, I get there, you know, I'm this kid with a state school degree. I kind of felt a little uh, sort of behind the eight ball right out of the gate. Everyone went to all these, you know, fancier schools than I did, it felt like. And so I was like, I'm going to work. I'm going to work harder. I'm just going to outwork everybody. So I was the first guy in the office there every day, flipping on the lights at seven in the morning or whatever, turning them off at the end of the day many times. And just kept working harder. That got me a promotion after a year. Sort of took the same strategy at the next level, you know, another promotion a year later. And then that third job was a little bit trickier. And I realized 
well, wait a minute, working harder, just hitting the hammer harder isn't, isn't enough anymore. You know, you have to sort of figure out a better way to get it done. And, you know, it took me three years to get through the next level, if you will. And one of the things I learned was, one, it took me a year to sort of figure out the job. Year two, I got good at it. Year three, I figured out how to like work it to get promoted. And so that in and of itself was a learning experience and networking, finding mentors was a big part of that. And then fast forward a couple of years, I get out into the field, have this, the company gave me the worst territory in the company, a, you know, young guy, I couldn't make it any worse. So they're like, let's see what happens here. Right? It was literally the worst territory in the company in terms of sales volume. Get down there, take off running, business takes off in the first four or five years, it's doing great. I win some award and man, awards can be like a double-edged sword, right? Because I win this award and then you sort of patting yourself on the back, look how good I am, right? And no matter how bad things got, you're like, well, I've got this award on my shelf, so I'm fine. And I'll never forget 2011 or so, I'm sitting at the award ceremony, the big kickoff meeting, and they announced the award that I could have won. And man, I'll never forget this day. I'm getting chills even thinking about it right now. Again, they announced the award. They don't say my name. And of course, leading up to that, I thought it might be me. Didn't say my name. And I was, what hit me right then and there, Adam, I was completely deluding myself that I was even in the running for it. And it hit me right there. And I ran up to the guy that won the, award, the big award that year and said, Ian, did you do something differently? And he said, yeah. And uh, that was such a game-changing moment that the lesson he shared with me and boy, uh, it was incredible. Basically the idea was one, continue to learn, but two, not just learn formally, but uh, go to your best clients. He went to his best clients and said, hey, tell me what it's like working with me. You've been a client of mine. I've been your sales guy for all these years. What's it like working with me? What are my competitors doing differently? How could I be a better business partner to you? And I thought, oh my God, that's genius. So I take this survey, I go right back to my territory and do the same thing. Fast forward 12 months, uh, you know, you wanna go through the best start, stop, continue exercise in your life, Adam, go to your best clients, maybe you've done this and ask them what it's like working with you and how you could improve. And it's, you will hear things you don't wanna hear, I promise you that, but you'll hear many things that are helpful. And anyway, fast forward a year, I, a year later, my business took off. I, got this feedback, fixed my business plan, refined it, had a blowout year. I won the same award. He won the year before, moved into leadership and it just took off from there. And, and I love that you said that because that, you know, what's it like to work with me? That's something that you took into leadership and something that you did with all of your employees to make you a better leader, a better manager. And whether you're, you're in a large company or whether you run your own business, it's a skill set of getting your employees to let you know what you're doing and what you're doing right and wrong. What did you learn in those conversations with your employees that helped you move forward from a management standpoint? Uh, it, it, uh, I'll tell you what, the first time you ask these questions, it is such an unfamiliar territory for people that you find out very quickly, you know, how people feel about their job security, how they feel about the trust that you have between you and them, and just sort of how comfortable they are in their skin, if you will. And so the first time you ask these questions, you get answers like, oh, you're fun. You're great. <laughs> you know, it's, you're easy to work with. You know, these very innocuous sort of pats on the back. And so I kept pressing on them. No, no. How do I make our working relationship better? And it took a while for that to sink in. And the way you make it sink in and make people really believe it is to build trust. And it sounds so simple to say, but how many people actually make trust, building trust part of their business plan? Uh, I don't think it's a big number a big percentage. And 
I'll tell you one of the early wins I had with that. I went to one of my veteran guys. I was his peer for years and asked him this question. You know, we're a remote team. Uh, Brian was his name. <clears throat> Brian, how can we communicate better? We have all these conference calls. I don't feel like they're getting us far. How can we improve our communication? And he looks, he's on the phone, says directly back to me, we have too many damn conference calls. <laughs> and he actually said it not that nice and nicely. And uh, so I thought, I looked at the calendar. I had the whole year mapped out. We had a call basically every other week. And I realized if I just took out the ones on holidays, 4th of July, Memorial Day, instead of pushing them a day, I just knocked those out. And we had a conference week. I'd push it a day, just erased it. And I sent a note out to the team. That, that got rid of like 15% of our calls. Send a note to the team. Hey, everybody, Brian thinks we have too many calls. I want to try something different this year, a little pilot. We'll have fewer calls. And then I sent that note out, gave him, I asked for his feedback. I gave him credit. I acted on his idea. And then all the people saw the invites come off their calendars. And that simple little exercise that I just, it took me as long to do it as I just told the story. That was a, such a breakthrough moment for us. Now people said, wait a minute, he's asking me for my feedback and he's paying attention. And that was just a huge breakthrough moment for us. I bet. And, that, and that's true for probably every business owner manager out there is how do you build instant trust by doing what you say, especially if it comes from the people doing the work and in the a remote environment that everyone's in now, right? You had the, the ability to learn this in, in a different way than some people today, but now everybody's remote and, and it's easy to lose sight of where the benefits are, what your employees can bring to you, how your business can be better. What, what do you think you might've done differently if you were working in today's environment in that same construct? You know, I think the pressure is a lot higher today because everyone's, it is such a shock for everybody. Uh, but uh, I think I would keep pushing on what I was doing, which was as we went through these calls and continued this communication strategy, just less of it, I constantly asked for feedback on how do we make this environment more engaging? And a couple of the ideas I landed on that were direct feedback from the team. And so I think the, answer, the short answer to your question is continue to ask the team how to make this better and not just one guy, but everybody. So some of the ways we continue to modify it were having them lead some of the calls. So it wasn't just me saying, hey, everyone, I'm going to talk as you for an hour. Guess what? Today, Brian's going to run the call. Carolyn's going to run the call. You know, we rotated throughout the year. They'd each have a call throughout the year. So they had ownership of it. They got to drive the agenda. And one of the other things we evolved to was having that call where I wasn't on it. So imagine that a divisional sales manager conference call and there's no manager on the call. And what it really turned into was a study group call because now they could really say what they wanted to say and they didn't, you know, everyone's going to act a bit differently when their boss is on the call, right? Right. And so I said, why don't I remove myself from that circumstance? And I would always assign someone or ask someone, I should say, I would reach out to someone and say, hey, would you kind of MC this call? So it sort of stays on the rails, if you will. And people were super psyched to get that request. And I kind of tried to pick people that I thought that had, that had told me they wanted aspirations to, that had aspirations to be a leader at some point. I'd ask them to run that call. And in fact, the first one we did of those, uh, it quickly turned into two or three because people said, wow, that was a great call. Here's the 10 of us just brainstorming, kind of no holds barred. And so I think to answer your question more, it, it really was just continuing that feedback loop and continuing to innovate. It doesn't sound like a lot like innovation. People think innovation, they think launching rockets into space. I would argue this whole story is about innovation and doing it through a feedback loop with your team. 
And, and the feedback loop is something that you talk about in, in the book. So I do want to talk about your book called The Optimizer, uh, a great story that we're going to get to in a second about how the book came to be. But one of the things you talk about is that feedback loop. Tell us a little bit more about, you can ask questions and you can take um, you know, the information you get from employees and implement it. But when you talk about a feedback loop, it's, it's more than just, hey, what can I do better and implement it, correct? There's, there's yes. more to that process. Yeah. And, and so a big part of it is really trying to extract their views on a number of things. And more importantly, when, when you come up with ideas, me or them, because the feedback loop goes both ways, right? I ask them, I want them to ask me for feedback and I ask them for feedback. So I want it to be a, a you know, a 360 degree conversation. Uh, one of the big changes we implemented over time was ideas we came up with was putting it in writing which sounds like such a simple exercise as well. But when people take the, go through the physical act of writing something down, either type it out or write it down, whatever, the ownership level, I keep using that word, but that was one of the things I always found so important to leading change is finding a way for people to take ownership. And when you can find a way to give that to them without coming to them and saying, hey, Adam, you know, you're not good at this in your job. Let's work on that, right? No one wants to have that conversation. The manager doesn't want to have it and the employee doesn't want to have it. But if through this feedback loop and me asking you questions and working to become your trusted advisor, not your boss, your manager, that you do stuff because I tell you to do it, I become your trusted advisor, helping you with problem definition rather than problem solution. That version of a feedback loop and getting there, it doesn't happen overnight for sure. But getting to that point where people come to you for your advice and then you teach them how to fish as opposed to giving them a fish to use that analogy is so powerful. They take ownership of it. They grow as a person. They think about things more broadly. And honestly, so many conversations were me just asking people open-ended questions and they'd answer, they'd hang up the call and they would say things like, gosh, that was the best advice I've gotten forever. All I did was ask them questions. <laughs> you know, right. How, how did you do this? Why did you do that? <laughs> it was really fascinating. So it's a series of, there's, sort of no one answer to your question. It's a series of things to build this relationship, but targeting that trusted advisor mindset and relationship with the, with the employee. And as you developed, not only that skill set within yourself, you taught it to your team, and then it became, um, I don't know if this is the right word, but it became sort of a mantra and led you to your, your current career where you do coaching and consulting for businesses and you um, help them implement these strategies. Where in that journey did the idea and the process of the book, right? It, you didn't say, I want to write a book so I can go, you know, start my own consulting business. It, it, it was a progression. Talk about that progression to the book. Yeah, last summer, uh, my company got sold and, uh, you know, there, was, there were offers to leave and offers to stay. And in my... Uh, calculation, it was a pretty good deal to leave for my circumstance. So I left and wasn't sure what I was going to do next. Uh, but, you know, after working for 20 something years, I thought, what a great time to kind of, I'm at sort of the turn in my career, if you will, to use a golf analogy. I thought, you know, let me take some time to sort of figure out what I want to do here. So I kind of took the summer off, took a bunch of trips with my family, which was really fun. I have young boys. And, uh, and then I met with a friend last summer, Kamal Bhatia, great guy. And I said, Kamal, uh, he, he's gone on to a different firm. He's now the chief operating officer of the principal group. Uh, sat down with him and I said, gosh, if you were me, how would you sort of think about this career next move? And he said, you should write a paper, put it on about leadership, how you think about it, put it on LinkedIn or try to get it published on somewhere, Forbes or something. 
And I said, great idea, write the paper. Thought, you know, I'm gonna sort of get some more feedback here. And I went to another friend who's a really smart guy, his name's Mike Gottesman. And I said, Mike, what do you think? And he said, I think you've got the makings of a, a series here. Why don't you make it into a series? And then you could put it over like once a week for four weeks. Oh, that's a nice idea. And I started telling people about this paper. And a friend of mine said, this is what I do for a living. I help people create series to post on different magazines. I didn't even know that's what he did. And so he sat down with me for weeks, we refined it. And then the last step was I took it to a professor at my business school I'm good friends with. Actually, it was about a year ago today, interestingly enough. <clears throat> and he said, we sat down for lunch, he read the papers before I got there and he said, John, I think you have the makings of a book. <laughs> I thought, man, I'm just trying to get a paper written. <laughs> it just keeps getting bigger. And I said, how do you write a book? I've always kind of wanted to write one, but I, gosh, where do you even start? Right? It's a pretty daunting task to stare at a blank sheet of paper. And he said, I know this author coach. And he's connected me with him. This gentleman's name is Eric Kester, just serial entrepreneur, author coach, just an extraordinary guy. And his, you know, one of these guys with just super enthusiasm and I have to say it, it scared me. I thought, what am I doing? I'm writing a book. You know, how do you even do that? Does this guy know what he's talking about? You know, I was like, what, what am I doing here? And through this process of learning and researching the book, and he coaches you through all these stages and it's done through a cohort. So it's not just you, you're in there with dozens of people, which is cool. So you're kind of, what's that saying? Misery loves company. You're all sort of struggling through this thing together and learning. And through that and interviewing dozens of people for the book and researching companies all over the world and talking to different people in the press to learn about this or that, it's just opened up all these doors. And, you know, somebody, this one woman, uh, when I first started this career search, she was a VC person. I kind of was thinking about that space. And I said, if you were trying to get into your universe from where I'm coming from, the asset management world, what would you do? And she said, immerse yourself in the space, try to just go to tons of events, meet tons of people, whatever it is you're trying to do. And I would argue a book is a pretty immersive experience, having written books yourself. I think you might <laughs> yes, agree. <laughs> I would agree 100%. So you're in this thing. And I've literally met people all over the world researching this book. I would argue I now have a couple of friends outside the US because I met them through researching, talked to them. So the first client I got literally was, I met him at an event talking about the book and how I think about things. And he's like, we could use your help. <laughs> That was the interview. <laughs> and, you know, that was my first contract. You know, it was, it wasn't me like out pitching what I was doing. I was just telling him what I was thinking about in this book journey. He's like, we could get help with that. And that's honestly how it just continues to happen. It's been extraordinary. That's fantastic. And right. So your book's on leadership and it's also on process and it's also on, you know, developing your team, right? So you have all these different, um, very important parts of running a better team, running a better organization, but you chose the optimization side of the equation for the title, the optimizer. Why did you choose the optimizer as the title of the book? And because um, I think it really defines a little bit different than you know a, other leadership books out there uh, because of the way you think about it. So one of the things I didn't realize or didn't really coalesce in my mind before getting into the book. I think it was there, but going through this process of learning and doing the book and in all these interviews really helped bring this idea to, to, to really solidify it for me. And so the idea is as a leader, you're inextricably linked to driving change, right? If you're leading a business and you're operating the same way you were 20 years ago, you're either not out, you're either running out of business fast or will be soon, right? Like you just can't right. operate, but you know, you always, you're leading a business, you have to drive change. As an employee, what do you fear the most? Change. Right? And so <laughs> there's this 
very conflicting thing going on there. And so I was interviewing an exec executive from Microsoft actually. And I asked him, how do you think about innovation? And he said, innovation is optimization. And I actually got in like a bit of an argument with them during the interview. <laughs> in retrospect, I really feel kind of dumb for doing that. But uh, once we talked about it for a bit, I was like, oh my gosh, this is how I thought about this for years. You finally gave me the word for it. And so what I found to, to get to your question directly, Adam, is if you can get people to think in this constant incremental change mindset, allocate part of their business plan, right? You still have to run whatever your business is day to day. But if you can get them to allocate part of their business plan, part of their mind share to this constant change thing, what's some part of my business I can make more efficient, more effective and still do my day job, people can live with small change. And that's why I like this optimization concept and where the research really helped me solidify this because if you can get them to think in this constant incremental mindset, guess what? Three, six, 12 months from now, the change is actually gonna be significant. But the emotional hurdles of big change maybe didn't even exist because it was everyone can sort of deal with little change. But if you come at them and say, hey, let's do this completely differently, uh, then people kind of fear, you know, uncertainty, loss, shame can enter the picture. So the optimizer mindset is really, to me, helps you overcome that challenge of I need to drive change. People are afraid of change. The optimization piece, this incremental mindset can help help get get over those hurdles because it's small changes you're asking people to do. That's so good. So good. And you can get John's book if you go to johncsaunders.com. There's a link to get his book there. Uh, the book actually is launching as we speak. And um, so it, it's brand new out there. Um, as we begin to wrap up, I got a few more questions along that. And it's, it's not just optimizing. It's not just change. It's um, identifying the needs, right? Sometimes we need a third party um, and they come to people like you and me and they say, hey, we've got blinders on here and running our business. We need someone to come in. But sometimes it's even the step before that, right? Business owners sometimes have blinders on. They don't even know that they need to talk to somebody. So when you're, when you're working with owners and managers and, and the people that you consult with, how can you and your process help open people's eyes to, all right, this isn't an expense, this is an investment, and here's why it's beneficial. Because a lot of business owners, they're hard charging, they watch their dollars, and they don't know the time is right. How do you think about that for your, your business and those that you consult with? Yeah, I think it's, it's just, I guess, really working through examples and helping them see. Like the, uh, one of the contracts I'm on right now is, a, is basically exactly that circumstance. How do we sell more of this stuff? We're not kind of getting to where we want to be. Uh, I started helping them think about that and just asking them, you know, back to my sort of open-ended questions. What have you tried? Because when you're running a business, right, you're running 110 miles an hour. And oftentimes you're working so hard in your business that you don't always work on your business. And so what I try to help people do is think about, all right, what does it look like if we take this sort of, let's take a 10 foot, 10 feet, let's step back 10 feet here, look at it from a, a broader perspective and think, where are the bottlenecks in your business? What have you tried so far? Are you just trying to swing the hammer harder or are you trying to think about this in a more strategic way? And, you know, where can you create leverage? And I'm, I'm consistently, it's, it's been one of the things, one of my favorite ways for a call to end is to help people have this sort of epiphany where one of the things I really try to do is help them unearth leverage in their life that they didn't even know they had, right? You know, 
I'll go through their LinkedIn page, ask them about their network, people that they know, different organizations they belong to. And, you know, and let me back up a half a step. Also understanding, you know, what is the purpose? What is the why of what they're trying to do? And try to take that passion and purpose and align it with their business. And if you can create that, then your partnerships grow because the people you're aligning yourself with, you're creating a win-win, right? You're winning because you're selling, doing more, offering more of your service, whatever it is. And they're going to benefit, benefit from it as well. We're trying to find an opportunity set where that happens. Uh, and that's really the magic, aligning passion and purpose. Because oftentimes, again, we're running so hard and fast, we don't try to think about that. But if I can help you unearth that, that's when you can really see a breakthrough moment. And it just takes some time to ask these questions and step back and, and have this moment to reflect. And I think I a third party like you or I can really help facilitate that. Yeah. Very much so. And I think I like that word facilitate because I think a lot of coaching and consulting isn't giving answers. It's asking questions and facilitating the conversation that is already going on or should be going on within a business. And there's, there's two kinds of businesses. There's new businesses and there's current businesses. Most current businesses need something tweaked, but it, it's, it's already going, right? And so they need, to, they need to change. They need to backtrack. They need to fix. New businesses a lot of times it's they're hard charging and they want to get out there and they need to sell, right? They need to, to drive revenue. How can a new business use your process? How can they optimize from the beginning, right? Because it's, it's one thing to optimize after the fact and to fix and to tweak. How do you optimize from the beginning? Well, in fact, I would argue it's, it's easier to set up these. It's easiest to set things up or make change when things are brand new or when they're almost dead, right? Right. <laughs> Think about IBM, right? They almost went straight into the ditch 25, 30 years ago with their computer business till they finally said, you know what? They've been pitching, uh, I'm forgetting the CEO's name right now, but he was trying to get them new to this consulting model. Nobody wanted to do it. Their stock price was tanking, revenue was falling off a cliff. They were literally on life support. And that's when he finally got them to drive the change. So almost dead. At the front end, right? When you're brand new getting to somewhere, I think that's the best time to set up and set up these uh, uh, structures and processes that you want to have in place. And so sitting down with that business owner and helping them understand, now you're getting into leadership uh, discussions really at the front end, in my view, what kind of culture do you want to have here? How do you want your team to act and interact with each other? Because your culture, it isn't some magical thing. It's how you all interact together and how you get things done together. Uh, and helping them think through what are the, many times business owners haven't thought about that yet. You know, what is the, in three years, what do I want my culture to look like? How do I want people to be interacting? Should we all be angry at each other all the time? Or should we be out, you know, wanting to go to happy hour on a Friday or whatever, and, you know, hanging out together and spending free time together. So I think on the front end, it's getting into that much deeper into the why and helping them craft messages around getting there. And what do you need to do to make that happen with your team? I love it. And as, as my final question, as we wrap up, um, obviously everyone needs to go get your book, go to johncsaunders.com. And, and buy the book, um, you've, you've gotten a snippet of it. It goes much deeper and many more stories of real life, what happened. Um, but I always like to, to ask, when people jump off, like they're like, John, I know I need to do these things. Um, definitely, I need to implement some of these things in your book. But what do people do first? Like when they, when they realize they need to make a change, they need to do something differently. What do they do first? They get off this podcast and are like, all right, they get back to the office. What sort of your guidance of people just to kick off this process of optimization? I'll tell you what, I would go back to the story I shared earlier and, and we kind of got into it a bit, but it goes much further. And it's this, this 
asking your clients and team members, employees for feedback. It's, it, it is a, can be a very painful exercise, but really what you're doing, think about it. I'll never forget it. it I, I, I didn't share this story earlier when I talked about this sort of transformative survey thing I went through in 2011 or 10, whatever it was. Uh, when I got the survey, I took it to one of my favorite clients. I took it to about 10 or 15, my best relationships, not necessarily my top revenue clients, many were, but good relationships and ask them, hey, what's it like working with me? And I'll never forget asking this one gentleman, Mike, who I'm still friends with today. We haven't, I haven't officially worked with him in six or seven years, but we still communicate to this day. And I said, what's it, Mike, I really appreciate how you operate, how you conduct yourself, how you run your business. In an effort to be a better partner to you, I'd love to get your feedback on how I operate. Nobody, you have to set it up properly. That's a big part of the story is for that framework. Nobody said no to that request. And what you're doing is saying, I think you're smart. I don't think I know it all. You're being a bit vulnerable, right? And vulnerability is a key part of my, uh, it's a whole chapter in my book. You're putting yourself out there and asking someone for their help. You know, if you were me, how would you do this? And that putting yourself in that position is such a, it sounds like a position of weakness. I would argue it's a position of power. And that's, you get that, you don't wonder where to go from here, Adam. You find out exactly where to go from here because your clients and team members will tell you. And they're not going to tell you unless you put yourself out there and ask. And you're going to hear stuff you don't want to hear. But guess <laughs> what? That's your brand. That's you. And if you don't like it, you only got one person to, to credit for that, right? I appreciate that. Uh, thanks so much. Thanks for uh, the information. Thanks for being here. Look forward to, uh, to digging into the book some more. Uh, thank you, John Saunders. Appreciate it. Adam, I really appreciate being here. If anyone would like to have a you know, complimentary cons consultation with me on my website, johncsaunders.com. There's a, a little link on there. You can click and schedule time with me. I'd be happy to do it to see if it might make sense for us to work together. But thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. You're very welcome. And thanks everyone for listening to today's episode of the Entrepreneur's MBA. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur's MBA. Download Adam's free book, How to Make More Money in Your Business at www.freebookfromadam.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.